have you been affected by these crazy ice storms that i've been hearing about we've been lucky it hit much farther west to us although i do live up in the mountains and we get ice and snow quite regularly but not this round right yeah because I was, I was been talking to a couple of my american friends and they've they've just been saying it's absolutely insane out there i mean we've been snowed in we get snowed in four or five times every winter Brett, it's a real pleasure to have you on the uh, platform. It's been a long time coming. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Glad we oh. finally got to do it. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Well, you've, you've been, you know, a lot of people have been asking, when's Brett coming on? When's Brett coming on? I was like, don't worry, we're, we're getting it done. We are actually getting it done. So I'm really happy <laughs> to sit down with you. Um, now, before we jump yeah. into like the coverage around these US Navy pants that you've been doing, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background on your journalistic career in general? How did this all start for you and how did it lead towards you eventually covering areas of defense journalism, such as these exotic Navy patents? Yeah, I've kind of just stumbled my way through my writing career so far completely by accident. I, uh, <laughs> I used to be a teacher. I used to teach writing. Uh, I taught first and second year writing at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Uh, coincidentally enough, in the same department as A.J. Hartley, oh, wow. who wrote some of the Secret Machines books. Yeah. In fact, I, I met my wife in his Shakespearean tragedy seminar. Oh, that's awesome. True story. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I used to teach writing, and then I went overseas and taught uh, a variety of humanities courses in China for a number of years. But what I always wanted to do was write and I didn't really know what that meant or what that would look like, but we saved up a little nest egg in China to come home and trans uh, transition into new careers. And so when I moved back here, I started just applying for every entry level writing job I could get. And I eventually got a job writing for a pretty popular kind of weird news and paranormal site uh, that also has a, a popular podcast. And while there, I really fell in love with writing about kind of black aircraft and mysterious military projects. That's always been kind of a, a hobby of mine, you know, an interest. Right, right. And uh, while doing that, I came across the um, Salvatore Pace story and pitched it to Tyler at the War Zone. And here I am. So I'm not actually trained as a journalist. I don't even consider myself a journalist. I know a lot of times when, you know, you give me compliments, I, I always laugh and say, oh, is that what I am? because uh you know fair, I, I just it, consider myself a writer in a way i have I have a similar thing these days because people put me under a certain label and, and give me a compliment i'm like really i'm just a, a dumb 26 year old who's trying to figure all of this out <laughs> uh, yeah i'm a dumb 36 year old trying oh there to figure we go out, but you know, i just consider myself a writer yeah for sure um and i guess you know what i'm doing now some of it can be considered journalism, but I, I've kind of had to just kind of learn it as I go. Uh, Tyler and Joe over at the War Zone have been incredible mentors and have given me so much guidance. I really owe so much to Tyler. He took a big chance on me. Again, I was just writing for kind of a weird news site. And uh, yeah, he took a chance on me and here I am. So. Well, I think it was uh, I think it was That's Richard it. Branson that said, if you don't know how to do something, do it. Uh, like accept the job and learn how to do it while you're while you're there. I totally ruined that with a lot of paraphrasing, yeah. but I think that's a good way to do it. You know, if if you've got an opportunity and you're not quite sure, jump in anyway and figure it out. Make it till you make it, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, when exactly is this? Is this been like a lifelong interest in terms of the UFO UAP subject, or have you picked this up along the way? Yeah, you know, as as a young as a younger lad. I uh, grew up on stuff like The X-Files and movies like Independence Day, Mars Attacks, Men in Black. So when I was 
uh, a preteen and teenager, I was way into UFOs and, uh, you know, the search for extraterrestrial life and uh, much more of a believer back then. And then as I got older, you know, that led like a lot of people are either led to UFOs from the black aircraft world or they're led to black aircraft from the UFO world. Right, and I'm, right. I'm in that ladder. You know, I as I got older, I just became more interested in uh, kind of the military technology side because it, it's easier for me to reach out and put my hand on it, so to speak. You know, uh, black aircraft actually, you know, we there's much more concrete evidence for them. You can trace right. the history a lot easier. And uh, I've always just been interested in aerospace and aviation. I owe that to Legos, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, as a young kid, I, in fact, I still play with Legos with my son every oh, day. Oh, that's totally the forgivable. Only things they're I build awesome. Are, oh, they're the best. Uh, but the only, my wife laughs at me, the only thing I build are, are spaceships and airplanes. <laughs> no, uh, no Harry Potter castles yeah. or stuff like that then? Oh, we do have, we have a few Harry Potter kids. My son's way into Harry Potter right now. But, you know, <laughs> no. it, space travel, it's really science fiction and uh, space travel that, that has been kind of a lifelong interest for me. And that, that's what's kind of led me to writing about what I'm writing about now. Right. And speaking of science fiction and space travel, before we jump into these articles, because you have now published a series of them from 2019 up to present day, all of which, uh, for everyone listening, can be found on thedrive.com within the section known as the War Zone. And the articles can also be found in the description box below. So I'd recommend you guys check the articles out after this talk. But before we jump into the meat of this, I wanted to highlight for those listening who have not been keeping up with these articles, um, some of the technologies that are being proposed because some of these technologies include proposals for things such as high-frequency gravitational wave generators, inertial mass reduction devices, and the one that caught most people's attention, including myself, was the proposal for a hybrid aerospace underwater craft. So what we're dealing with here are extremely exotic technologies and assets that seem to be well, pretty much directly correlating to the observed performance capabilities of what we would call UFOs or more common now as UAP. And so I just wanted to let anyone know who may be unaware of the content of these articles that we're talking about, well, essentially beyond next generation technologies that are apparently being pushed out into the forefront by the US Navy. And as most of us are aware, the US Navy has really has been a front runner for transparency on the UAP issue for the last few years. And this would appear to be another step in this direction. So Brett, what were your initial thoughts when you stumbled across these exotic patents? And how did you end up stumbling across them in the first place? Well, I think it was like March 2019. Um, one, one of the British tabloids, I believe it was Metro, ran a story about the hybrid craft patent. And uh, so I, I ran a little blog entry on that weird new site I used to write up. And, uh, but it, it always just dug at me because here we have this bizarre sounding craft that is described as being capable of incredible feats of propulsion and aerodynamics uh, being patented by the Navy right in the midst of all of these very highly publicized incidents of Navy sailors and airmen encountering right, right. craft with incredible propulsion and feats of aerodynamics. So it just struck me as so odd and so coincidental that the Navy would be patenting these things at the same time, this big media blitz has been going on about, you know, the Nimitz and the Princeton incidents. 
So I really just started uh, digging into them as much as I can. And I, I had looked into patenting some silly things of my own in the past. And uh, so I knew a little bit about the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office's public pair databases, which lets you go in and poke around at the paperwork associated with different patents. So I started looking through them. And that's uh, when I saw how some of the leadership at the Naval Air Warfare Center had, had vouched for these patents so strongly. And that's when I, uh, you know, really started researching it and putting the piece together that would become the first piece I published on the war zone. And, and so did you, um, did you, how did you actually manage to get this put onto the war zone? I'm guessing there was, uh, you know, cause you, would you, did you communicate with Tyler about it? Yeah, he had, I'm always at that time, I was always looking for new writing jobs, more writing jobs. And the War Zone had posted kind of a call for writers some at some point in 2019, just saying, hey, you know, if you've got a pitch, pitch it to us. And so I, I kind of bookmarked that and filed it away. I've been a huge fan of Tyler's for years, even before the War Zone, back when he ran aviationintel.com, just a, his, his own little blog. And so I've been a fanboy of his for years. And so I, I, I wanted to get something together I could pitch to him. And when I got that piece together, I, I, I thought I'd try it. And uh, the Warzone was actually the second outlet I pitched to. I okay. didn't hear back from the first one for 48 hours. So then I, I pitched it to Tyler and he wanted it. So. And the, um, now the first article you published on this, which was back in June 2019, which was actually in collaboration with Tyler, warned of similar technological yeah. advancements basically being undertaken by the Chinese government. And I'll tell you, what I found to be most interesting was the fact that these technology patents were so bizarre that the US Patent Office was originally unwilling to greenlight them until the chief technical officer of the Naval Aviation Enterprise personally wrote a letter addressing basically to the examiner claiming that the US needs the patents as the Chinese are already investing significantly in aerospace technologies that sound eerily similar to the UFOs reported by Navy pilots. So within, within the US government, how high do you feel the concern is regarding foreign adversaries such as China getting the upper hand with these types of technologies? You know, I'll admit I'm not as well versed in kind of the bureaucracy of the DOD and policy as some of my colleagues are. Um, but certainly we've seen a lot of things like the UAP task force um, and some of the executive orders passed by the previous administration in their final days that show they are taking seriously threats of incursions into American airspace. Um, and we see China and Russia thrown around a lot as is to be expected right now in time of great power competition, as they call it. Right. So, you know, there's certainly a, a, a huge new space race going on between the United States and China. And um, so I, I don't think it's surprising that we saw Chinese advancements cited by the Naval Air Warfare Center, but I've certainly been trying to dig into Chinese scientific journals as much as I can. Um, I don't know specifically what was being referenced there. Right, because I was that was actually going to be my next question is have you have you managed to get hold of any additional information on the current state of innovation in China at all? No, you know, a lot of the innovation going on in China is the same along the same lines here, directed energy, uh, microwave 
technologies. There's a lot of interesting stuff being done in China as far as microwave propulsion goes. Okay. Um, that is gen generating plasmas and using microwave energies to kind of direct the flow of those plasmas, um, similar to magnetohydrodynamic drive, right. MHD engines. Um, but as you know, most of that stuff is geared towards um, space propulsion, where you have a lot less drag, a lot less inertia to fight against. And so you can generate thrust from very small levels of energy. Um, I, I haven't seen anything out there that suggests China has hybrid craft that can, you know, zip through the air mm -hmm. in water and, and make 90 degree turns at extreme speeds. Although, you know, some of the Chinese hypersonic weapons being developed right now are um, certainly worrying in their capabilities. They've right. done tests of hypersonic, uh, you know, weapon delivery systems that can do these kind of zigzag maneuvers through the air at incredible speeds. Um, but we're doing the same. And however, I, a hypersonic missile is very different from what um, Salvatore Payas has described in his patents. Do you think that there's a connection between the efforts for UAP transparency that we've seen circa 2017 to present day and the release of these patents that appear to have applications and capabilities that correlate with observed behaviors of UFOs? Is there a connection here or is it coincidental in your opinion? You know, so it seems coincidental, but it seems very coincidental. It was kind of the coincidental similarities that drew me to it in the first place. However, you know, I, I've always tried to just let the evidence take the story wherever it takes it, right? Uh, I'll tell you, there are some interesting dates that kind of line up to the STARS Academy of Arts and Science was incorporated on February 13th, 2017 in Delaware as a public benefit corporation. The very next day, Salvatore Payas's tic-tac-shaped high-frequency gravitational wave generator patent was applied for on February 14th, mm, 2017. Okay. You know, hey, it's a, they're a day apart. Probably yep. a huge coincidence, right? Well, there, yep. <laughs> There's nothing to suggest. Um, again, though, I, I just... You know, TTSA had their press launch event on October 11th, 2017. The hybrid craft patent is then published a few weeks later on November 2nd. And a few weeks after that, the big New York Times article drops on December 16th, 2017. So, like, all of these things are happening at the same time. But that's as far as the connection goes, it seems. It, it is sort of curious to me. If you remember the TTSA launch event, Steve Justice was yeah. talking about this electromagnetic craft that they were mm -hmm. going to yeah. develop, right? He's, and he's, he's a lot quieter about that these days. <laughs> yeah, and then you have, you know, Salvatore Pace right. patenting this electromagnetically propelled craft. I, I don't know what to make of that. I'm sure it's a coincidence because we've seen these kind of patents before from other people. We've seen a lot of UAP transparency groups over the years describing the same kind of technologies that they claim are hidden in the black world in government laboratories somewhere. It, it's hard to make anything of just the timing being similar because, you know, so far there's no link between the two. Uh, again, I just, it's the, it's the coincidental timing that drew me to the Payas patents to begin with. But again, the evidence suggest that this was exactly what it looks like just a, a crazy weird science experiment that got funded 
at the Naval Air Warfare Center. And uh, it doesn't seem to have panned out, but there's still some interesting things I'm pursuing as far as that goes. Well, the pattern that was being pushed the most by the CTO of uh, the Naval Aviation Enterprise was a craft using an inertial mass reduction device. So essentially, that pattern seems to describe a technology that can render a craft weightless. What, I mean, what do you think about this, Brett? Do you think that any world government currently has an actionable mass reduction device or something of a similar ilk? I would be highly surprised if they did. You know, every scientist we've spoken to, every aerospace engineer says, no, there's no way these things can be built. There's no way we can generate that amount of power. Um, it, it seems like this is a highly speculative patent. Um, really, the keystone patent of Dr. Payas is, is the, the high energy electromagnetic field generator. Right. And the, the craft using an inertial mass reduction device is kind of just an extension of that same concept of mm-hmm. generating these high energy electromagnetic Essentially fields. Essentially as, as like a byproduct of like an application. Yeah, it's so, you know, um, he coins it the Payas effect, right? And really the craft is just one application of the Payas effect, one hypothetical, highly speculative, as far as we know, application of the Payas effect. I think it's, you know, a lot of people, one of the reasons I wanted to come on the show is to kind of talk about how I feel like the patent story has been kind of, taken and run away with a lot of people look at that patent and say oh well, the navy is patenting a triangle it's the black triangles that we all know so about so much about right it's the tr3b or whatever if you really look at the language of that patent he's not really patenting a particular airframe he's not patenting a particular vehicle he's patenting this inertial mass reduction device that can be used on the vehicle And he describes how the vehicle could come in many different embodiments. He says it could be conical in configuration with an elliptical cross-section similar in geometry to a hypersonic glide vehicle or dart. He also says uh, it could be, it could look like a a delta wing, you know, like a uh, similar to kind of the RQ-170 or the RQ-180, these lenticular triangle blended wing craft. Um, And he writes that, you know, this present invention has been described in considerable detail with reference to certain embodiments, but other embodiments are possible. So it's not like he's patenting a triangle craft. It's, It's just that the the images that he submitted along with his patent application just happened to look like a triangle from that certain cross section. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that, yeah, because that's, that's basically just people looking at the schematic, seeing a triangle and going, aha, that's the TR3B, which is a right. little bit of a yeah. over-exaggeration. So it, it could very well be a cone. It very well could look like, you know, some of the blended wing um, unmanned aerial vehicles that are out there, right. like the RQ-170 or the, the Boeing, uh, what's it called? The Delta Ray. You'd know, you'd know more than me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're, we're seeing them actually trying to disclose any particular craft. This is, you know, one engineer outlining some kind of hypothetical applications of this physics effect that he's trying to figure out how to manufacture, how to engineer. 
Well, despite the uh, contention and also the idea of it being hypothetical, the keyword in, in your second article is the word operable, because you reported that Navy officials have claimed that their radical electromagnetic and superconductor technologies aren't theoretical, but are actually already operable in some form, which is a pretty bold claim. And I'm just wondering if you can unpack what you discovered here yeah. in terms of technological readiness for these types of patents. Yeah, that operable comment was made in relation to the um, piezoelectricity-induced room temperature superconductor patent application. So that's basically taking the same Payas effect that Dr. Payas claims, where you couple high-frequency vibration um, with high-frequency spin in an electrically charged system. So imagine a, in a highly electrified guitar string and you're plucking it at the same rate that corresponds with certain harmonic levels of the electrical frequency you're pulsing through it. I hope that's a good explanation. I, I'm very much not a physicist. It's taken me you know, a year and a half to wrap my head around this stuff, but room temperature superconductivity has been a goal of physicists and engineers for decades. It still is. If you see what MIT is doing with their fusion project, Commonwealth Fusion Systems, they are attempting to use high temperature or room temperature superconducting magnetic ribbons to contain a nuclear fusion reaction, which is exactly what Payas describes. So um, Dr. James Sheehy, the um, chief technological officer for the Naval Aviation Enterprise, he wrote a letter to the patent office saying that the piezoelectricity-induced room temperature superconductor patent is operable and enabled. And it's interesting. I mean, if he's claiming any one of these patents is operable, it makes you wonder about all of them. Right. Now, you know, the strange thing here is, because if he says that's operable, then that must mean they've observed the Payas effect. Yeah. One would think, I, I would imagine. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I think about this because of the, the fact that the defense world is, I mean, most people who are embedded within the defense world would acknowledge the fact that technology increases in the black more than it does in the white, and then it comes out, uh, you know, right. later in life. And the room temperature superconductivity is actually recently in the mainstream been achieved by a group of physicists in New York. Um, I mean, the catch is that their room right. temperature superconductor requires crushing pressures to keep it from falling apart. But... Yeah we're there now so right. i i mean if we if we're now creating room temperature superconductivity in the mainstream it would it would make me think that it's more than likely been worked on and and, and maybe even perfected in the black i think what mit and commonwealth fusion systems are doing is very interesting compared to the salvador payas fusion reactor and room temperature superconductor designs I'm not enough of an engineer to, to look at MIT's room temperature superconducting wires and look at Payas's room temperature superconducting wires and tell if they're the same thing. However, they seem to be enabled by very similar mechanisms. And it's very interesting to me that MIT and Commonwealth Fusion Systems would develop this reactor. It's called the Spark Reactor, right on the heels of Payas's developments. Now, I'm not trying to insinuate there's some connection there because, you know, it doesn't seem like there is. 
Uh, it doesn't seem like Dr. Payas has any connection to MIT. There's just a lot of very similar developments happening, as you mentioned, right? The, the super, room temperature superconductor that happened under extreme pressures. A lot of similar developments are kind of trickling out at the same time. So it, it could be that there's some kind of secret sauce in these patents that right. wasn't published. You know, they only published enough that, that they needed to get the patents published. Or it could be what a lot of people say, that this is just some hypothetical, speculative, theoretical physics. And, you know, this is just one man's dream that he got funded to test within the research organization of the Navy. Well, we, yeah, well, let's talk. Yeah, well, it is. But let's talk about this man behind the patents, Mr. Salvatore Payas. For, for those who have kept up to date yeah. with your reporting, there does seem to be a bit of a contrast of opinion. Some people are fully supportive of the claims coming from Salvatore and, and the Navy, whilst others believe that Mr. Salvatore does not even exist and claim that the physics contained within his patents are inaccurate or you know overly complex. I, I personally, probably similar to yourself, don't have a sufficient physics background to be able to argue the case for the legitimacy of the science contained within. But can you clarify your position on, I mean, on who exactly is Mr. Salvatore Payas and have you been given sufficient information to validate his position within the Navy as well as the legitimacy of his technological proposals? Well... So Salvatore Payas and his family immigrated from Romania in the 60s or 70s. I can't remember which. Um, I've seen his mother's obituary online with pictures of him as a young child. You know, I've emailed with the guy several times. I mean, I reach out every month or two. I reach out every time I um, publish a piece. I'm fairly certain the guy is real. He There's a popular... I think it's popular mechanics or popular science letter to the editor that he wrote in 2002. There's a uh, book review on Amazon that he published in 2016 before anybody knew his name. Um, he's got a publication record uh, going back to 1991 from NASA funded research he did while at Case Western Reserve University. I think it's unfair to say that the guy isn't real just because he doesn't have a huge online presence. I can tell you right now, if you Google my father, you will find absolutely nothing online right, right. about the guy, but I'm pretty sure my dad is real. <laughs> it makes it makes sense that Salvatore Payas isn't very reachable online and isn't able to talk to the public because the guy has very high-level security clearances in order to do the work he does. I mean, aside from these patents, he for many years was an aerospace engineer at the Naval Air Warfare Center, working on very sensitive systems and fuel and thermal management for aircraft like the F-35, the F-18, the P-8A. So it makes sense that the guy just can't email you and tell you exactly what he's working on right. at the time, you know? Um, and yeah. And anyway, well, I'll, I'll leave it there. So I, I he strikes me, He's a very polite guy. He's very considerate in all of our email conversations. But ever since he gave me that statement in late 2019, anytime I reach out now, he just says, you know, Mr. Tingley, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to put you in touch with my public affairs officer first. Right. Okay. And uh, that, that's the response I get every time because I, I guess maybe some people weren't happy with him, you know, writing me that great email about the Payas effect and how he'll be hmm. proven right someday doubting subject matter experts will be proven wrong well um, you know, it's not it's not he's not alone in in that regard in in 
respects to looking at the mainstream academic institutions and their ideas about these types of sciences. Because, I mean, we have to remember that this type of thing has been stonewalled in academia for a very long time. You, you know, you go through very specific channels when you're studying to become a physicist and you can actually find yourself to be relatively ostracized in your academic you know, career if you're going to go down the route of what's considered to be you know, woo-woo or junk science. And it's only junk science right. in all honesty, because some of these people have not really thought about how it could be achieved because it seems so out, outside of the envelope of where we are right now. So, I mean, you know, this is this is honestly the case for people throughout history, right? The front runners, the the underdogs, the guys that the guys and girls that are saying, no, this is the way it is. You're gonna you're gonna realize in the future that this is the way it is. And they're told no, no, no. And then eventually they're praised as pioneers and geniuses. Sometimes, sometimes, well, sometimes, yeah, of course. Look back on it as, as kooks, too. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, time will tell with Dr. Payas, I guess. And I, I see the claim out there a lot that, oh, you know, there's, there's no intermediary for this, there's no science on this. And, and that's really not true. There are a lot of physicists working on kind of the same kind of theories that Dr. Payas is. There's Alfonso Rueda at uh, the University of California, Long Beach, I believe, um, Bernard Haish at Lockheed Martin. Um, and you certainly have figures like uh, Dr. Eric Davis and Hal Putoff who have been publishing on these same kind of concepts for years. Um, David Froning, who's an aerospace engineer who developed the first Nike uh, ballistic missiles has been publishing on using specially conditioned electromagnetic fields as propulsion. All of this stuff is still very much in the theoretical realm. I think what made Payas's patents so controversial is he attempted to take those theoretical concepts that aren't even on the bench top yet. You know, they're still very largely relegated to pen and paper kind of uh, equations or, or computational dynamics experiments. But he attempted to take these very theoretical theories in terms of uh, macroscopic quantum coherence right. and uh you know quantized inertia quantized inertia he attempted to take those and actually see how they could be engineered or claim how they could be engineered using today's materials and today's equipment and i think that's what has made them so controversial but he's not alone in arguing for some of these things now that doesn't mean all the other people arguing are, are right too they could be looked back on as kooks too you know, time will tell. But uh, Dr. Payas is part of a, a, a trend of engineers and physicists looking into this stuff. I mean, look at Dr. James Woodward out at Cal State Fullerton, who's uh, been testing the Woodward effect or the Mach effect since the 90s. Right. And he's gotten massive funding, massive funding from NASA. He's launched the Space Studies Institute out there. You know, so far, I don't think they've been able to prove that the mock effect is anything more than a testing error. But again, it's along the same lines. It's in the same kind of school as the Payas patents. And people don't look at him and call him a kook. I mean, some do. You know, the M drive was very right, yeah. controversial, but it works very much along the same lines as the hybrid craft using it an inertial mass reduction device, but the M drive got, you know, very high funding from NASA for years. And there's still some NASA scientists at the Eagle Works laboratory looking in on that stuff. So, 
Well, we've been I, using. I think com- it's unfair. Go ahead. Sorry, I think we've got a little bit of a latency, so uh, I apologize for yeah. that. But um, no, all I was going to say there was, um, to me, like there must be some upgrade from here. You know, there must be something else that we can use some some form of uh, novel approach to propulsion. So. It, it doesn't seem yeah. so outlandish that these types of ideas are being put forward, especially, you know, at least in the theoretical sector. But, you know, why do you think why do you think the U.S. Navy has been doing this? Because I have to admit that from my perspective, it would appear to be extremely risky to publish, you know, what they were claiming, even though there have been some interesting retractions now, but what they were claiming to be actionable or operable patents in the manner that the Navy has done so. What I mean by that is that due to the tangible threats from, you know, foreign adversaries such as Russia and China, would it not be counterintuitive of the US Navy to reveal its most exotic technological capabilities to our adversaries by publishing them on Google patents where anyone can see them? Yeah, I that's... You know, the, uh, this whole time, that's been the big elephant in the room, right? Right, it's like, right. If these were operable, if the Navy really wanted to pursue these as something it wanted to build, why would you make them public? And I don't have an answer for that. I, that's been the big question all along. I think Occam's razor would suggest the answer is because they're not trying to build these things yet. These are still largely theoretical. They're still largely speculative Um, So there's no point in keeping them secret because we're still decades or more away from being able to build them. That's one take on it, you know, and then a lot of people also um, suggest, well, maybe this is kind of misinformation or disinformation. I've had a lot of background conversations with people, both within the Navy and outside and people who've worked with Dr. Payas. They've all told me, you know, this is not, how misinformation works. Um, now, I'm not well-versed in the intelligence world. I don't know what that means. You know, I, I, I can't evaluate that statement. Right, right. Maybe it is. Um, it, you know, I, again, I, I lean towards the, the more obvious answer to that. Well, these were patented publicly because they're just, they, they are what they are. They're a theoretical well, work of physics that this, is still uh... years and years away. Let's see if you'll meet me in the middle here a little bit. This is just an idea that I had because I've had a personal suspicion for a little while. Um, Granted, this suspicion comes from my own inability to fully understand the physics of the patents. But my, my suspicion was that due to the public nature in which these patents have been released, that the patents might be more of a signal than a legitimate proposal, a signal to foreign adversaries that America has indeed made significant headway with these sorts of technologies and, and physics concepts, but that the publicly available data in the patents, the information contained within may not be completely accurate, may contain some level of disinformation in order to muddy the waters for foreign competitors, but that basically the key idea behind the patents are real and has been to some extent achieved by the US government. And so the, you know, the publicly available patents are nothing more than a symbolic gesture of this capability, essentially sending a signal to America's enemies that could be phrased like, yes, this technology exists, we've created it, but you're not going to find out any of the actual science by looking into these patents. We just wanted you to know that we've achieved these concepts. I mean, I understand that's kind of not really Occam's razor with this, but what are your thoughts on that idea that it could be almost signaling? I think that it could be true. Uh, you know, again, I, I like to stick with just the evidence I found. Um, there's still so much unknown about these. I, you know, I, I do agree 
with that, I think with, with some of that, at least, I, I think this is just all speculation here. This is just a guess. So nobody, you know, quote me on this, but one theory I, I've been chewing on a little bit is that maybe at least one of these patents represents something that the Navy is building, but maybe not to be used in the way that it's described in the patent documents, or maybe it's not exactly what it appears to be in the patent documents. It's interesting to me that Dr. Payas was transferred um, to Navy SSP, Navy Strategic Systems Programs, shortly after developing these patents. Navy SSP um, develops and oversees the Navy's submarine-launched ballistic missiles. These submarine-launched missiles are literal hybrid craft. They are launched from underwater, they then fly through the air, they then go into space, they then come back into the air, and then, you know, onto land, onto their target. So I, I've wondered if maybe that hybrid craft patent could be some type of a new missile technology employing some kind of electromagnetic supercavitation or drag reduction technology along its outer skin. Uh, I, I keep thinking back to Trump's comments that he made over and over again about hydrosonic missiles. <laughs> right? that, that's probably Trump just misunderstanding what he's heard in briefings. Um, but who knows? Yeah, maybe not. I, again, I, touching back on your question, I, I have thought, I have chewed on those ideas along those lines a lot, that maybe there's at least one of these patents isn't what it seems, you know? And that maybe a lot of the language in the patent literature itself is kind of a smokescreen, a misdirection. You know, maybe this is a more benign technology than it seems, but it's dressed up in this theoretical physics language about macroscopic quantum coherence. Right, uh, right. Macroscopic quantum coherence and vacuum engineering, space-time metric engineering. But, you know, again, without being able to find one subject matter expert to look at this stuff and say, yeah, it exists. Yeah, this can be built. That's a tough claim to to validate. But then again, as we've touched on in this conversation many times, we have no idea what goes on in the black world. Right, right. There's so many anecdotes, so many anecdotes and quotes about, you know, the black world of the U.S. military being decades ahead of what the public knows about. And, you know, whether that's true or not, we have seen proof of that somewhat when you look at some of the aircraft that have been revealed to the public decades after their first flights. So, yeah, you know, it's it, it's just tough to say what we're looking at in these patents. Why, if these are so revolutionary, if they are so important to national security and national energy dominance as Dr. James Sheehy and Dr. Payas have claimed, why are they public? Why didn't they check the box on the patent application to keep them classified? 
Well, I suppose that, you know, the same question could be asked about why the DoD videos were released, you know, the FLIR footage, uh, you know, why is why is any of this happening? And obviously, we're not going to directly correlate and connect like we were saying before, we can't directly correlate yeah. the, the patents coming out to the same revelations that we've been seeing since 2017. But you've got to ask yourself, you know, if, if they've got a handle on this stuff, uh, if they if they want to maintain the secrecy, um, you know, why why even why even start opening your mouths about any of this so it does it does make me feel like there could yeah. be a bit more to it and i'll tell you the hybrid um the hybrid aerospace underwater craft something that interested me um now obviously that, these are the claims of the inventor but it was claimed to have the capability and i'm quoting here to engineer the fabric of our reality at the most fundamental level now what piques my interest about this is in my recent interview with the former ATIP director, Luis Elizondo, he confirmed to me that a technology or science does already exist, which would allow for the complete and total manipulation of both cognitive and physical environments, including the manipulation of the very fabric of time and space. Now, most people would agree that when it comes to the world of defense, like we were saying, especially the world of clandestine black projects and special access programs that the publicly acknowledged capabilities of the US military are actually probably way off the mark of what is actually achievable and that we're actually many decades ahead just as we were saying obviously that's speculation to a certain extent but there are cases that we know of there where that's where that's pretty much uh, you know accurate so we've kind of gone over this but I'd like to Rewrap it. Where do you believe the U.S. government is currently when it comes to beyond next generation energy and, and propulsion capabilities? Well, as we saw with um, the executive orders, which were put out in the last days of the previous presidential administration, um, the DOD, the DOE, and NASA are accelerating development of miniaturized nuclear reactors. Right, right. Um, we look at what you know Skunk Works has been doing in terms of developing miniaturized nuclear reactors that could fit aboard aircraft. And uh, it, it's clear that the DOE, the DOD, they are looking into kind of next generation energy dominance. Um, now, whether we're ahead of anybody else or whether we're close to achieving that is it, still yet to be seen. Uh, you know, at the war zone, we report so much on kind of cutting edge, bleeding edge aerospace technologies. And it doesn't seem like anything close to the Payas patents is actually being built. When you see a lot of the, the next generation um, aerospace technologies coming out, they have a lot to do with data fusion. They have a lot to do with, you know, um, radar signatures, low observability in the visual infrared and radar regimes. Nothing like this there's nothing we've seen that can, you know, engineer the fabric of our reality, but it's, it's just so curious and so coincidental that these would, uh, you know, to go back to this point, that these would come out right at the same time that we're hearing so many of these accounts from Navy sailors, Navy airmen. I, I just don't know what to make of it. I think it's incredibly curious too. Dr. Payas you know, when I, I got the statement from the Naval Air Warfare Center that he'd been moved to the Air Force, so um, I tried to track him down again to try and get a statement to see if he could go on the record. I've been trying to interview the guy, even to just do a profile, you know, a biographical profile on him um, for a year and a half now, but no luck yet in getting that approved. But he's actually been moved to the Space Force. Oh, really? Um, I guess the Naval, yeah, the Naval Air Warfare Center 
public affairs officer, he wasn't incorrect in telling me that because many Air Force installation, many Air Force commands were transferred, transferred to the Space Force just in the last year. And the particular command Dr. Payas was transferred to is now under the command of the Space Force. Hmm. I have no idea what to make of that. I mean, as you know, the, the Space Force as, as of now isn't doing a lot of aerospace engineering. You know, mo most of their systems are being carried over from the Air Force. So that's another curious wrinkle to this story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, yeah. do you think that there is, just as a, you know, you can just speculate here, but I, I would say that there's, it's likely, do you think that there is an exotic techno technological arms race currently underway between world superpowers, Russia, China, America, maybe even India? Um, you know, do you, do you think that there is this, like this desire to, make a breakthrough in propulsion and energy i mean it would seem obvious but just based on these types of patents and the observed capabilities of, of ufos which are becoming more widespread and understood it just seems like that would be the next leap and that's what they would want to aim for as as superpowers i think a lot of the the next generation big leap through technology leap ahead technologies we're going to see are, are going to be in the realm of uh, directed energy you know, and we've already seen a lot of those. What's not talked about a lot is how directed energy intersects with propulsion. Right. Um, I've got a piece that came out last year in the war zone about how uh, lasers and microwave emitters can be used to kind of create a channel of low density air directly in front of an aircraft uh, to basically reduce the drag and aircraft experiences down to almost zero. And, right. you know, and those are still those are still relegated to wind tunnels and uh, computational fluid dynamic tests. I, it doesn't seem like any of them are actually in the air. But isn't that also you know, high, I, uh, like kind of hypothesized to be on the leading edge of the B2 spirit? Right. Something that ionizes but, and there, the it's air never been It's never been proven. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, so we know that some of these things already are in existence. And when you look at what that hybrid craft patent actually claims, what is claimed like the actual system, the actual physical system, not the, not the claims about, you know, engineering the fabric of our reality. But when you look at the physical system that he has patented, it's basically the same thing. You're, you're depositing energy along the, the skin of the aircraft in order to kind of push the air out of the way. And in that respect, it's not that radical because there are a lot of people looking at ways of using directed energy and volumetric plasmas to kind of do the same thing. But nobody's claiming that, you know, they can engineer our reality or whatever yet. So, but again, going back to my point, I, I think a lot of the language in these patent applications is just very elevated, very theoretical, very kind of dressed up. And that may be what we're looking at is a lot simpler than what we think it is. But, I, you know, that's a guess. This could be kooky nonsense relegated to the, you know, the John Quincy St. Clair's of the patent world. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I'm not. One, but... <laughs> one thing I like to th He, if you Google John Quincy St. Clair, you'll find dozens, if not hundreds of patents. Right. Okay. All sorts of things. Time machines. Oh, I think aircraft, I've, I think I've come across some of those patents in my, in my research time. Yeah. <laughs> right. But again, you know, Dr. Payas, he's an actual aerospace engineer working right, in some right. of the highest laboratories of the Department of Defense. He's not 
Exactly. You know, I he's think got a reputation. John Quincy's, yeah. And, you know, he's got uh, a bona fide educational background. You know, yeah. his, his PhD dissertation was funded by NASA. So I, one thing I've been thinking about a lot, I've read um, Sharon Weinberger's book, Imaginary Weapons, recently. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it to everybody out there. But Dr. Eric Davis wrote a review of it that was for a while published on the Federation of American Scientists website. And uh, I'll read a little bit of it here because I, I think this is a great Please, point. Yeah, I've never heard he this. He, said, he says, defense reporters are in no position to make credible, authoritative scientific judgments about the efficacy of any defense funded research. The DOD and all of its component organizations do have outside scientific advisory bodies, which are composed of independent multidisciplinary scientists of very high caliber. These scientists are out-of-the-box thinkers who are connected about the who are concerned about the future of our national defense and security. That concern means that consideration must be given to futuristic or non-mainstream concepts which need to be explored in detail. Not all of these concepts will succeed, but one out of a hundred usually do. If we don't spend the money to explore any of them, then our enemies will. And it will be they who makes the next big discovery that will have serious defense implications for the United States. Right. So I like to think about what Davis wrote in relation to these patents. You know, they might be junk science, as uh, is commonly said of him. But, you know, they might be exactly what Davis describes here, kind of a one in 100 right. shot in the dark to develop the next big capability that will give the United States you know, the military advantage. We can't afford a hybrid craft gap, right? And maybe that's all we're looking at here is just kind of throwing concepts at the whiteboard, throwing a half a million dollars at them to see if they work, you know? Or it could be something else entirely. It could be disinformation. It could be reverse engineered UFOs. Who knows? You know, but I, but I want to know more. Well, we do well under pressure as a as a species. I mean, you know, for an example, World War II was the precursor for major innovations in multiple fields. It started off with military applications to help with the war, and then seeing these innovations transfer into the you know the private sector for global use and and benefit of the public. If we're in an arms race right now with these sorts of technological assets, um, you know, for what could essentially be seen as quantum technological superiority. Um, do you think that could be the catalyst for a paradigm shift in global energy and propulsion applications to repackage that a bit more succinctly? Do you expect to see a trickle-down process from the military to the private sector with this type of technology if it is actionable? I hope so. Uh, the, the key there is your last statement, if it is actionable, right? It, right, if right, these right. Things are, I are actually realized, I've so many people have reached out to me over the past 18 months in the private sector. Some people who have gotten, um, you know, SBIR contracts from the DOD to research very similar concepts. Dr. Payas is not alone in either the DOD or the private sector in looking into these things. When you look at what the Naval Research Laboratory has been looking into with high energy lasers and plasma right. physics you know I, it really does feel like we are on the verge of, of a new scientific well, revolution largely spearheaded by by lasers and directed energy technologies which are opening up incredible new branches of physics 
what I was going to say there real quick is wasn't um, Lockheed reported yeah. to be working on a compact plasma compression fusion device similar to what Salvatore Paius was working on? Yeah, I'm not sure. Was it? I know it was a compact nuclear reactor. I'm not sure. I'll have, to, I'll have to maybe. Uh, I'll have to maybe look it up real quick because I, I remember it caught my eye, and I, I swear it was a, a fusion device. I could be wrong here, but um, let me have a look. Let me have a quick look. Lockheed. Yeah, it is. It is a fusion reactor. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so they they have already announced yeah. that they're working on that kind of stuff. You know. Yeah, and uh, something in doc, one of Dr. James Sheehy's letters to the patent office that he says, I would prefer we hold the patent as opposed to paying forever to use this revolutionary technology. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if Lockheed is working on a compact fusion reactor, and if Dr. Payas has patented a compact fusion reactor, you know, maybe it makes sense that, the, you know, the Navy has been at the forefront of mobile, quote unquote, um, nuclear reactors for decades now, right? I mean, that's what's aboard right. aircraft carriers and, and submarines is these mobile fusion react or mobile nuclear reactors, not fusion, mm -hmm. but just nuclear reactors. So I have, again, I've had a lot of conversations with people who know Dr. Payas and have told me that they've heard him say, or they've read him write that he will be remembered for his energy patent. Hmm more than any of the other patents. And so, again, going back to what MIT is doing right now with their fusion reactor, what Lockheed Martin's doing with their compact fusion reactor, eh, what those last um, executive orders were about in terms of nuclear reactors, it does make me wonder if, if you know, th that that's what we're seeing is an energy revolution. And that may, you know, maybe we're all focusing on the wrong patent here we're focusing on the hybrid craft patent when we should be focusing on that compact fusion reactor patent which by the way you know was published in ieee transactions on yeah, plasma yeah. sciences a very a very prestigious energy journal um it passed their peer review process so well that's the thing i think that you know it's it's it's, just, it's not just speculation you've got you've got real scientists who are actually in a high position giving a stamp of approval to things like at the very least the energy patents and you know as i think you were saying and i think Paya said the same thing that the the energy patent is essentially the primary focus really and then everything else is just kind of an extension of, of possibility outside of that so you know if this energy can be fully realized and utilized then something like a hybrid aerospace underwater craft could be created but really you know ieee hasn't validated the craft but they have validated the energy process they validated the the concept right uh, it's important to note, though, there's been no experimental data showing that they've got anything close to this reactor working, right? You can you can still publish theoretical concepts in the, you know in these peer reviewed journals. Um, so what they what passed the peer review referee process was the the concept for that reactor, not necessarily the reactor itself. You right. know that that's the that's the thing to always come back to with these Payas patents is there's really no experimental ver verification that we've seen showing that these things have actually been built or they actually work. I mean, they did build that, you know, small demo um, for the high energy electromagnetic field generator, which apparently they, they couldn't get to work. But it's interesting that they didn't actually build it to 
test the pace effect, it seems, right? He's always said you have to couple high frequency spin with high frequency vibration in, ele- in an electrically charged system. And the device they built did not have any capability to vibrate. But, you know, now uh, there's been so many concepts over the years for what people like to call jiggle based physics, right? Like trying to test if vibration will do funny things in yeah, yeah. To subatomic particles and stuff. Who knows? I, well, I just keep coming back to, I, I know I've said it three or four times. It's just curious that this stuff would come out now. It's the timing of these patents that has piqued my curiosity and kept my curiosity going because they just run concurrent with so many other strange developments. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, if, if these patents were to have come out, you know, five or six years ago, it probably wouldn't have raised many eyebrows. In fact, most people would have never even heard of it. But the very fact that it's coming out at a time when the UFO UAP issue is being addressed relatively openly, it does it does make you, you know, speculate on whether or not these things are connected. And I'll tell you what, not everyone will agree, obviously, but there are quite a few people in at least the UFO community that would agree with this that it's becoming more and more likely that the US government does indeed have in its possession non-terrestrial vehicles with beyond next generation capabilities. I mean, they might not be in you know their full working state, but it does seem more likely that they actually have these types of vehicles. I mean, and they may have been attempting to reverse engineer them. I mean, when I asked Luis Elizondo if during his time as the director of ATIP, he ever came across reverse engineering programs that dealt with non-terrestrial vehicles, and that is you know, verbatim, that's how I worded it, he said he cannot answer that question, and he apologized for having to avoid answering the question in any detail. Now, obviously, this is a case of plausible deniability, and based on his response, I personally have no doubt that he absolutely did come across such programs during his tenure as the director of ATIP. So, I mean, do you think there's do you think there's any possibility of Mr. Salvatore Payas being one of the scientists who's worked within such reverse engineering programs? Have you ever been given any indication of his involvement in programs that would work on something like that? I've seen no indication to suggest that. No, I, I haven't. I, you know, I, I'd like to just keep coming back to it. Let's stick with what we know about these patents and the evidence suggests they're exactly what they look like, right? Just a, a speculative work of theoretical physics coming from a very talented and clearly very imaginative aerospace engineer who wants to take humanity to the stars someday. Well, I mean, I, I'll tell you an interesting quote that was included in, in one of your articles by Salvatore Payas was, and I'll, I'll, I'll read this quote for everyone, what is most unique about this paper is it has already won the approval of Dr. Redacted, one of the world's top authorities in advanced power and propulsion quantum vacuum engineering, who has given his unreserved approval of this paper, calling it a very good paper. Redacted has also forwarded the paper to several of his colleagues, including Redacted, another top subject matter expert. Now, personally, if I was a gambling man, I would put my money on these two redacted individuals being Dr. Harold D. Puthoff and possibly even Dr. Eric W. Davis, both of whom have worked for the DOD and other agencies and have the sufficient tickets to be read into certain programs, both of whom have also considered experts in the field of advanced propulsion physics, especially as it relates to what Dr. Hal Puthoff calls space-time metric engineering or vacuum engineering, as we've just mentioned, which is essentially you know, the utilization of what is called the zero-point 
energy field, which in lay terms could be considered as the fundamental energy of the universe, that which gives rise to all things. And so the engineering of this energy would be so far beyond what we're currently doing with fossil fuels and, and so-called green energy applications, it would render them entirely obsolete if we were to master the extraction and you know the utilization of the zero point field. Have you been given any hints as to the two redacted names, whether or not this could be Hal Putoff or Eric Davis? No, I mean, I've even tried doing pixel counts, you know, on, on people's <laughs> names to see if, if they could fit. The thing is, there are only so many subject matter experts in that field. It's a very niche field of theoretical Yeah, physics. exactly. You've, you've got Harold Putoff, you've got Eric Davis, um, but you have a lot of other people too. You have uh, Bernard Haish, Alfonso Rueda, you've got David Froning. Um you know, it, it, there's no telling who it could be. It can be somebody we've never heard of before, right? Um, it, you know, Payas does cite both David Froning and Hal Putoff extensively throughout his patent literature and his academic publications. Um, but whether or not that means anything in terms of who those names are, it, it, it's impossible to say. Do you think the private energy industry wants to see these types of highly disruptive breakthrough energy devices come to light? I mean, you know, even just through a hypothetical scenario, leaving aside any idea of operational capabilities right now, many within the UFO community would say that there has been decades long corporate conspiracy to keep these technologies obfuscated from public view yeah. due to the potential implications of a free energy society, which would, you know, it, by default, it would see the collapse of the petrodollar macroeconomic system that is currently being enjoyed by those who control the energy and fuel industries of our world. I mean, you know, you are essentially dealing with uh, like a global infrastructure that has been profiting from these non-renewable resources for decades. One would like to imagine that any sane individual would want to forego profit in order to save the planet or the human species. But as we all know, the upper echelons of private industry are pretty much dominated by self-serving, profit-driven individuals. And so if you're looking at a technology that could render the energy costs of essentially everything to near zero or absolute zero, it would be too outlandish to, it wouldn't be too outlandish, sorry, to imagine that some of these corporate monopolies would view a free energy paradigm as a threat to their ability to profit from energy infrastructure. So, I mean, you know, to repack that as a, as a question, do you think the fossil fuel industry would welcome this type of technology or would they, and possibly have they made active attempts to dismantle and disparage this type of new energy? I wouldn't even know where to begin answering the second part. I have no idea. Uh, that's, that's well outside of my purview. Um, but you know, we've, we've heard lots of stories about those types of suppressions over the years. Now, whether or not they've been proven is one thing, you know, going all the way back to the claims about Nikola Tesla's uh, technologies being seized by the FBI or whatever. Oh, they're not um, claims. That's facts. That's documented evidence of that. Is it? Yes, there are documented yeah, right. documents. Uh, there's actually a yeah. document that details a power struggle between the FBI and the CIA, where there's a, a note that says that we're requiring the secret Tesla patents to be given to us. So, I mean, there are some pretty strange documentation around uh, Tesla. You know, I... I haven't done too much research about the energy sector. That's not really my, my area of Fair expertise. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's 
safe to claim that, you know, or it, not to claim it's, it's safe to assume that there would be large resistance from the right. Yeah. Um, petrochemical industry for this. But again, I, I've talked to so many people kind of in the alternative energy industry that this is a huge and not just this kind of like zero point uh, vacuum engineering thing, but all sorts of fusion and nuclear technologies and, you know, compact reactors. I, I think we are on the verge of an energy revolution. I hope so anyway. I uh, hope so as well. Planet and everybody, everybody on it. And, uh, you know, maybe Payas is just part of that. This is his way of trying to kind of imagine or speculate a way which we could create a new energy paradigm. Um, you know, I, I hope so. I hope we are in the virgin one. It certainly seems like it with all the investment into new nuclear technologies recently. Well, I really hope that these things can come out for the positive, but one of the more unsettling publications you put out whilst covering this scenario was in January of this year when you put out the article titled Navy UFO Patent Documents Talk of Space-Time Modification Weapon Detail Experimental yeah. Testing. Now, what the hell is a space-time modification weapon? Is, is, that, is that as terrifying as it sounds? I would like to know that myself. Yeah, I... That was one sentence on one slide that turned up in the documents I got through FOIA. I want to know what the hell he's talking about yeah. there because that, that, it does sound terrifying. And, you know, it, it's disappointing to me that whenever new technologies arise in the DOD, the first thought is always how to weaponize them, right? How can we turn this into the of biggest course. bomb possible? Uh, there are many examples throughout Dr. Payas's publications where he describes how the high energy electromagnetic field generator can create these kind of spatio-temporal excursions, these weird effects with space-time. And I'm guessing that's what that is in relation to. You know, we there's no more information about that space-time modification weapon than is on that one slide. So I have no idea what to make of that. And, you know, it made for a great headline. A lot of other outlets yeah, for seized sure. on it. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to be a large part of Payas's work or his research or, you know, where he um, proposes these hypothetical technologies can go. But uh, yeah, that's that was a very worrisome slide. To come across. <laughs> yeah, well, when I saw the title of that, I sent it to my friend who isn't a part of the community or anything. And he was just like, oh, of course. Yeah. Like, you know, the moment they find a breakthrough energy, they just want to turn it into the most, you know, destructive weapon possible. It's disappointing. You know, I uh, it says I'm something about humanity by nature. Yeah, it, it does for sure. I tell you, have you been, um, you know, during during your investigation of this, did you actually have much opportunity to do any networking with the defense and intelligence communities of the U.S.? No, and uh, people ask me that a lot. You know, like, yeah. Did, did you did you ask the intelligence community if you can publish this stuff? I'm like, you know, no. I'm just a writer who sits at home in his pajama pants and you know <laughs> digs through documents. I get through FOIA and. No, nobody's ever reached out to me. I'll tell you one interesting thing, though, is uh, are you on LinkedIn or are you familiar with LinkedIn? I am familiar with it, but I'm not on it. Yeah. So LinkedIn will show you who looks at your profile right? when people look you up. And it's been very interesting to see who in the Department of Defense has looked me up. Oh, can you uh, give us your top three time. or are you, uh, you going to keep that quiet? 
Yeah, I, I don't want to name names, but some Fair very, very high people in the Department of Defense have looked me up. And uh, yeah, it's always a shock, you know, when I see them. Um, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, hey, they're doing their job, you know, or somebody just forwarded in the article and they just Googled me. You know, I there's probably nothing nefarious or, you know, conspiratorial to be dug out of that. It's just, you know, they read my article and they just Google me to see who I am. Yeah, no, absolutely. Top results is my LinkedIn. Absolutely. But it's so, you know, I, I know there are people within the Department of Defense looking at this stuff for sure. Um, I wonder how like widespread the knowledge of these patents and, and that experiment was before I started reporting on them. You know, was this just a thing that a few scientists at the Naval Air Warfare Center knew about? I, you know, I always come back to, I have this whole spreadsheet of these weird quotes that all these officers and administrators within the DOD have said over the past few years. One of my favorites, the, uh, the then Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral John Richardson in 2017, told reporters that my sense is that we're on the dawn of something very substantial in terms of naval warfare, something as substantial as the transition from sail to steam, as the transition from wood to iron, wow. as substantial as the advent of nuclear propulsion in terms of what it means for naval power. Like, what the hell was he talking about there? <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered about that. It's like when the Air Force Lieutenant General in 2018 said, like, oh, uh, there's going to be a man-made domain in galaxies here pretty soon. You know, we're going to have capability pretty soon in other galaxies that we have right now in the air. She said that to Steve Trimble at Aviation Week. And that, <laughs> you know, that... What were they talking about? It does. There? It does make you wonder what it is that they know that makes them feel so confident to say stuff like that. Yeah, and she backpedaled. Uh, the Air Force Lieutenant General Jameson. She backpedaled that and said she was talking. I I forget what exactly she said, but she retracted and said she was talking about like galaxies of ideas. <laughs> she was she was speaking she was speaking figuratively or metaphorically or something. Uh, I can't remember course. what she said, but. You know, that the one by the chief of naval operations that yeah. one's always struck me. Like he's saying, we're on the verge of a revolution as substantial as the advent of nuclear propulsion. Yeah, I mean, I, as I would substantial agree. as the transition. Yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, you know, just just from uh, intuitive and speculative and optimistic sense, uh, I I just feel like we really are. At, uh, on the verge of something quite phenomenal. I mean, not just, it's not just about propulsion, but you, you, you're looking at all of these different changes. One of them, I think one of the most notable would probably be quantum computing, you know, quantum superiority being right. achieved and, and the, the types of models and, and projections and, and physics that you can actually achieve through something like quantum computing. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond what most people can really understand right now, but once those types of things yeah. come in, I, I do think we're going to see a, a, an exponential increase in in different technological capabilities, as well as our understanding of physics in general. Absolutely. And uh, we touched on this earlier. You asked me about like what big groundbreaking kind of paradigm shifting technologies are on the horizon. I think artificial intelligence too right. yeah, is absolutely. going to revolutionize. I mean, every industry, every sector of life, yeah. but in warfare in particular, I mean, that's some of the most major investments by the DOD are in artificial intelligence right now in terms of sensor fusion, being right, able right. to sift. you know, there's so many thousands of satellites and just millions of sensors all over the planet. And 
it's very hard to make sense of all that data at one time, but artificial intelligence very soon will be able to, you know, make decisions on the battlefield so much quicker than a human being can. And that that's going to really revolutionize warfare in ways we can't even imagine yet. Do you think maybe, maybe that's what the chief of naval operations was talking about? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Just to yeah. segue into the UFO issue a little bit, do you think that this issue has been kept secret for such a lengthy amount of time? And, and when I say lengthy, we're talking, you know, potentially several decades worth of secrecy. Do you think this secrecy has been maintained up until present day due to the amount of knowledge gained by our governments? Or is it the opposite? Is the secrecy due to their inability to explain this phenomenon to the public? Um, you Just know, a, your personal opinion. Yeah, you know, I'm. I, there's a metaphor about, you know, when, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail to mm -hmm. you. Right. And, you know, my focus is and has been on, you know, black aircraft. Right. I, I always come back to the fact that intelligence agencies have historically, and, you know, this has been documented and proven, have historically used the UFO folklore as a smokescreen for, um, tests or operational tests yeah you yeah. know operational tests uh of high-end technologies as far as i'm to be honest i don't know is the answer there that that's not something i i've read into a lot um there's something weird going on and has been for decades when it comes to the government and ufos that's for sure uh what it means is beyond me i you know i we touched on this a little at the very beginning of the interview here. My, I kind of live on the periphery of the UFO world. You know, when you when you look at my body of work in the war zone, like I, I really write about military technology. Yeah, you, you skirt the my edges. In, right. But, but I, you know, I do follow the UFO news and developments. I, I watch every UFO video I see. You know, that doesn't mean I, I see anything that... Have you, have you watched the phenomenon by James me Fox? Of, I haven't. No, to be honest, I don't watch a lot of, you know, UFO media. Yeah. The only episode of the uh, TTSA show I watched was the one where they, they talked about some of my work. Um, you know, I, it's just, I'm kind of peripheral to it. And my interest in the UFO phenomenon, if you will, is, is more of a, a kind of a pop culture or folklore level, a sociological level. I, you know, I, I going back through history, you know, we see, accounts of strange things in the sky dating back centuries right humanity's always looked up in the sky and, and seen things that we we can't make sense of and the narratives over the year have changed you know thousands of years ago it was people saw gods up in the sky right and then later on in history we like that what was that the nuremberg yeah, the people saw the things in the sky in Nuremberg. Zeppelin they imagined it was a battle going on in the sky. Yeah, right, right, right. I, so I, I try and, and look at the UFO topic from that kind of sense that it's it's an ongoing evolution of a narrative about just things we don't understand going on up above our heads. Now, I might focus on the military technology angle. That doesn't mean I discount any other theories, right? I. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. I, when people ask me, what do I think of UFOs? Mostly what I say is, well, I think they're weird and I want to know more. <laughs> right. And that's, that's really where I leave it. You know, I, I would love 
I would love to discover existence of alien life, either out in space or here on earth. I would, you know, nobody would be happier than me. I just, uh, I haven't seen it yet. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a true Fox Mulder skeptic. I, I really want to believe, but I, I'm going to go where the evidence leads me. And I, you know, and I'm fine. Um, not being agreed with, I'm fine disagreeing with people on that, you know, that's fine. Cause again, I, I it is something I, I watch kind of from the periphery, but, uh, you know, I, I like to just go where the evidence takes me and say, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you, you could, or you could say blessed and cursed with the fact that I've had my own sightings that have, uh, changed my life. And, you know, these occurred in 2019 primarily. So I'm in that very awkward I envy position. You, man. Well, you shouldn't because, uh, <laughs> it's actually very annoying when you've had experiences like that and you can't prove it. It's all subjective. It's, uh, you know, you don't have, right? for, don't have evidence for it and, and see, you, it's and difficult. That, that's, what's tricky about. Yeah, that's what's so tricky about the phenomenon is, is the best evidence people have for kind of anomalous, you know, flight performance and stuff is all is all accounts, eyewitness accounts. Right. There's so little there's so little tangible evidence we can put our fingers yeah, on. And I, I know there's been a lot of there's been a lot of claims lately about, you know, recovered materials and things, and I'd love to see them. I'd love for it to be true. Um, and I, you know, I'm not discounting anybody's experiences right i just haven't had them myself i and you know i i study a lot of philosophy in grad school and things i know how subjective our realities are and again i i would love to go out tonight and see something in the sky that just completely blew my mind and changed my whole perspective i just i haven't had that yet well you know you never know keep looking up man <laughs> keep looking up at the sky yeah, and trust you, me, you I might am... see something I think uh, what a lot of groups are doing, like Skyhub is fantastic yeah, yeah. in terms of making a lot of high-end sensors available to everybody. I think the more data we can collect is, is great. I mean, clearly there's something weird going on and has been for a long time. Now, whether it's all misidentified natural phenomena or aircraft or whether there's something actually weird going on, I would love to know. I, I just, I'm kind of an agnostic. <laughs> I'm a UFO agnostic, I'll say, right? Yeah, fair enough. Now, after a year and a half of reporting, you finally, in your most recent article published on February the 1st of this year, was it, was it February the 1st? Pretty sure it was February the 1st. Uh, it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I got my date right yeah, there. But you a, It's been a rough month. Oh yeah, no doubt. But you managed, lost, I've lost track of time. Yeah. You, you managed to get statements from the Naval Air Warfare Center Division regarding the work of Salvatore Payas. Now, before we jump into what NORCAD had to say, I wanted to read a response that you received from the inventor himself. So this is from Salvatore Payas in relation to his physics concepts and technologies. The fact that my work on the design of a compact fusion reactor was accepted for publication in such a prestigious journal as the IEEE TPS, which for everyone listening stands for Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Transactions on Plasma Science, should speak volumes as to its importance and credibility and should eliminate or at least alleviate all misconceptions you or any other person may have in regard to the veracity or possibility of my advanced physics concepts. 
Mr. Tingley, do realize that my work culminates in the enablement of the Payas effect, original, phys original physical concept. The Payas effect comprises the generation of extremely high electromagnetic energy fluxes and hence high local energy densities generated by controlled motion or electrically charged matter from solid to plasma states subjected to accelerated vibration and or accelerated spin via rapid acceleration transients. Such high energy electromagnetic radiation can locally interact with the vacuum energy state, the vacuum energy state being the fifth state of matter, brackets, fifth essence, quintessence. In other words, the yeah. fundamental structure, I love that quintessence, the fundamental structure from yeah. which everything um else space-time included in our quantum reality emerges. Now, the engineering of the Payas effect can give rise to the enablement of macroscopic quantum coherence, which if you have closely been following my work, you understand the importance of. I must stress that all of this work, patents, patent applications, and technical papers was conducted as a NAVAIR slash NORCAD employee and that my current position within the Navy SSP has absolutely no bearing or in any way, shape or form has anything to do with this advanced physics work. Thank you for your interest in my physics concepts and try to keep an open mind in regards to my work respectfully, Sal. Now, we can take it from these statements that Mr. Payas is extremely confident in his physics work and that the technological proposals yeah. he's put forward are indeed actionable and should be taken seriously in his mind with that being said however your most recent article seems to directly contradict these statements at least that is how it would appear uh, based on the response you received from norcad regarding payas's work so to, qu to quote the response you received from norcad they said the following the high energy electromagnetic field generator testing occurred from October 2016 through to September 2019. The cost was $508,000 over the course of three years. Around 90% of the total, $462,000, was for salaries, while the rest was used for equipment, test preparation, testing, and assessment. When NORCAD concluded testing in September 2019, the pious effect could not be proven. No further research has been conducted and the project has not transitioned to any other government or civilian organization. Now, after all these different claims about operability, demonstration, and concerns of similar advances in technology by the likes of China, in your opinion, why would NORCAD suddenly turn around and essentially dismiss the work of Mr. Payas, making it seem abundantly clear that they have no intention of continuing the work on these physics concepts and, and, and technological assets? I mean, what do you think the reason behind this? Is it just clear cut or do you think that this is a bit more nuanced and maybe there's something to read between the lines here? Well, I mean, I'd like to take them at their word, right? I. I don't want to assume anybody's not telling the truth. I, I think if you look at the timeline, those statements of operability and enablement that were made by Dr. James Sheehy were made several years ago in 2017 and 18, I believe, where there's two letters. So maybe, you know, maybe they had some initial results that seemed like it was going to work. And then by the time they built this test article, they, they couldn't really get it to work how they wanted to. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that discrepancy, honestly. That, mm -hmm. That's been a burning question that I've been left with ever since I did get that statement from NOLCAD. I find it, you know, it's, it's a shame. Maybe that's not the right word for it. 
you know, we tried for a year, a year and a half to get a statement from them. I mean, and, and they would not, they would just not comment on it at all. And then I get these documents through FOIA and all of a sudden they want to speak up and tell me, you know, no, this didn't work. We did the test and it stopped. Like, why, why couldn't they have just told me that a year and a half ago? Right. Right. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it, honestly. But again, I, I like to just go where the evidence leads. And, and it seems like that, right? That Dr. Payas and maybe even, you know, his superiors like Dr. James Sheehy, they had high hopes for this stuff that they, they did the math on paper and it seemed like it was going to work. Maybe they had some other test articles where they got some early results. Um, you know, it's interesting how specific you have to be with FOIA, right? I, right, I've been in right. communication with some other people who've tried to get information on the testing and the Navy has told them, oh, we never did any tests. You know, well, it's because they didn't ask the specific office for the specific documents by their specific codes. And so who knows what other stuff is out there related to the Payas patents, if anything, maybe nothing is. You know, maybe, maybe we got it all, but who knows? I, you know, that... That's one of the burning questions I've left with now is like, if this was just some dead end that they threw half a million dollars at and it didn't work, then why all the secrecy so far? Why these letters written to the patent? Yeah, like demanding that it go through and it just, uh, I can't figure that out. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that's, that's still one of the big burning questions. I, I know that you said that you have been basically receiving a, like a boilerplate response from uh, Dr. Payas now in regards to trying to get into communications, but have you tried, did you try yeah. to reach out to him once you were given these comments by NORCAD to see if he would comment any differently? Did you make that attempt? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I email him. I email him pretty frequently and you know, he, the guy's not, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm guessing here that he's not going to risk his career by speaking out to the media when he's not supposed to um i'm amazed that i got the statement from him that i did back in 2019 um you know i, I just kind of always I email him every now and then just to see what happens um yeah you know he's uh, he's just directing me to the the space force media yeah. office right now and you know i man it i had really high hopes I wrote them and they said, yeah, have your editor send us a letter, you know, and, and we'll see what we can do. And I got really excited that they were going to let it happen. But they got back to me a week later and said, no, we're not, we can't proceed with this. So for now, he, you know, the guy can't speak out about his own work. And I think that's a shame. And, you know, it could also be slightly indicative of uh, him being told to be a little quiet about it. It could be, you know, and I've, some people have sent me some things saying, oh, well, the Navy's just embarrassed. They're embarrassed by this stuff because they know it was junk science. And so they're telling them to be quiet about it. You know, that that's one guess. That's one theory, you know, or hell, maybe he's building these craft for the Space Force. And that's why they want him to be quiet. Now, that's <laughs> yeah. that's at the other end of the uh, the probability spectrum there. So the plausibility spectrum, as it were. But who knows, man, it's uh you know, I, I've never worked a story like this that has just dug at me. You know, I, I, I dream about interviewing Dr. Payas sometimes, to be <laughs> honest. It, it, this story is really dug at me. I can imagine. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating, even if this did turn out to be just, you know, another junk science experiment. 
um, along the lines of the men who stare at goats or whatever. You know, this it, it's fascinating that that still happens. Uh, don't don't it's fascinating. Dismiss remote viewing too quickly. Oh no no I. Is, but they were trying to kill goats with their minds, though. That was like separate well, from remote that, viewing. Well, that's right? what the film was about, but it was well, sure, yeah, primarily I, I a nod book, towards the SRI remote viewing programs. Right. Um, yeah, that's another interesting Yeah, that's a whole there, other yeah, I, ball of thread. <laughs> we like to think of the military as being very stodgy and uptight and you know, concerned with just very concrete boots on the ground kind of work. But it, it's fascinating to me that this kind of fringe research is funded by the DOD all the time and has been for decades. You know, I love, and you know, I'm not alone in that. There are a lot of authors who explore that stuff exclusively. And I, I just, it's fascinating to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's actually one of the first things I got into when I started researching this, uh, this topic was the remote viewing because I, I ended up on the CIA's freedom of information Act electronic library and was, you know, just searching keywords to try yeah. and discover things and came across this huge cache of things called remote viewing and project Stargate. And, and it just, it fascinates me that so much was poured into that. I mean, there were concerns um, at the time as well of, of Russia's psychic spies and things like this, but just to get right. back um, to the, my last little, last little question for you, do you plan on pushing this further? Are you still investigating the issue to see if NORCAD changes their tune or if you can find any additional information that, that contradicts their current position on these patents? Yeah, I continue to work on this story daily. I mean, it's, uh, I think I've got a book project in here somewhere. Um, but the third act has yet to be written, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm still working on it for sure. I, I think his transfer to Space Force is incredibly interesting. Um, I, I think the fact that the statement we got from NOCAD seems to contradict some of those declarations to the U.S. Patent Office, that's right. pretty curious. And again, I... I'm beginning to look at the patents. I'm trying to look at them with kind of a new eye and think, you know, what am I missing here? Is, is this something kind of more down to earth that's being dressed up in lofty theoretical physics language in turn in, in order to describe its actual form and function. Right. Right. Who knows? Huh? But yeah, I'm, I, this, the story's not over yet. In fact, I, I think it's just getting interesting. Um, you know, it, it, it's picking up steam. I think there've been so many times over the past 18 months where I've thought I'm just at a dead end, you know, that the pay story is, is coming to an end. There's no more to be found. And then something will happen. One of my FOIA requests will be fulfilled or I'll get, you know, an email on background from someone telling me to look into something and uh, that'll lead me down a new route. So who knows what will happen here? I, I've, I've had some, incredibly interesting background conversations just in the past two weeks since publishing those two most recent pieces. And I, I can say there, there is something more going on than what it seems, but whether or not that means this is misinformation, whether or not that means this is junk science or whether or not that means there might be something in development here that, that remains to be seen. You know, I, and I, I didn't mean to seem like I was putting down remote viewing or the UFO topic earlier. Again, I, I try to be kind of agnostic when it comes to all this stuff. I, I keep an open mind and I go where the evidence leads me. And all, all I know is my own experience, right? Absolutely. So I, I try to apply that 
I try and apply that perspective to this story. I try and just remain as open-minded as I can about it. Um, early on, you know, I was really hoping that the Navy was flying these things somewhere. Yeah, but, of course. You know, <laughs> clearly, it doesn't seem like they are. Not yet. Maybe not ever. But uh, I, I will continue to look into it for sure. Brett, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on to talk about this. It's a fascinating journey yeah, that you've, uh, you know, you've taken us through for the past year and a half. And uh, I must Thanks. say that I, I don't think that this is the end of the road when it comes to these patents. If China is indeed working diligently on, you know, making these types of technologies actionable, then it would make very little sense for the U.S. Navy to simply give up on these concepts and write them off. I mean, I have a sense that there is more to this than currently meets the eye, just as you do. And if that's the case, then I hope to yeah. see more fantastic reporting from yourself and as i mentioned earlier you wouldn't believe how much private sector research is now being done just based on these patents alone like uh, tons of companies people have reached out you know wanting all the data i have just so that they can go and try and build one of these things themselves i think uh it'll be interesting to see you know, where's private sector development along these lines goes from here, particularly where, uh, as it pertains to fusion technologies. An interesting road ahead for sure.